You're listening to another episode of the Beulah Girl podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hi, friend. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is the Beulah Girl podcast, and I'm Carol Whitaker, your host. We are concluding today a series that I started a few weeks ago on calling, staying true to your calling. If you are listening for the first time, then I encourage you to maybe jump back, listen to a few previous episodes. You can catch all of those on BeulahGirl.com. They are also accompanied by full-length articles. So if you want to look up the Bible references or sometimes it just helps to go back after hearing a story or illustration, go back and actually read it just to get it further cemented in your mind. So you can do that. Um, I've talked about a variety of topics. Basically um, started off talking about being bold in the person God has called you to be, not hiding who he has called you to be. Talked about um, walking in your God-given calling, what that looks like exactly, how a biblical calling is a little bit different than calling in secular terms, the way people talk about it just in the world. And also talked a little bit about opposition and some fears that you may have in, in going and walking in that calling you have, whether you're starting out, whether you're in the middle, wherever you are in that place, just some common fears and how to combat those. And then I want to close out this series by addressing to today just how to keep growing in your God-given calling, not getting stuck in a place, it's easy to start out, but then it's harder to finish something. It's easy to launch out into whatever God has called us, but then we can get bogged down and how to keep growing and keep moving and keep pursuing what he has asked us to do. Years ago, the phrase, no pain, no gain, gained popularity in the fitness industry. And I've seen this phrase on t-shirts, on billboards, on bumper stickers, but I really didn't know who, you know, came up with this phrase and just some quick research. I discovered that it it was actually used by Jane Fonda in exercise videos. And that's why it became popular in the eighties in the exercise industry. But Jane Fonda didn't actually come up with a phrase herself. It was used much earlier than that. Benjamin Franklin even used a version of it in some of his writings. So, it's a phrase that's been around for a while, but it did gain popularity in the 80s. But the idea, obviously, behind it is that if you want to advance, get better at something, improve yourself, particularly in terms of fitness, if you want to get that big muscled body, then you're going to have to go through some physical discomfort to get to that place because that's the only way that your muscles are going to expand, they're going to grow, is by going through some rigorous exercise that isn't going to feel so good. And spiritually, this principle can also be applied. If if we're wanting to move forward in our calling, we're wanting to advance, we're not wanting to stay in one place. I mean, God's always moving and calling us to different assignments as we walk in our calling. It will not be without some pain and discomfort in, in, in the process. So, while as humans, we tend to like our habits, our comfort zones, the familiar, the predictable, God is going to push us outside of those zones and challenge us to do new, bold things that won't necessarily be things that we would have chosen 
for ourselves and maybe things that make us uncomfortable, make us, you know, um, stretch us in ways that we hadn't imagined. And so we may be a little surprised by the fact that when we answer a call, it's not just an initial push at the beginning to go and, and do something and then everything's fine. It's a continual push, pushing, I should say. We're continually moving in that assignment and there are, are, you know, there is discomfort in the process. If we're going to stay committed, however, to our calling, we have to allow ourselves to experience this pain and discomfort to get the growth that is going to happen if we submit ourselves to the process. I love um, the illustration I got. I read this some time ago, but in um, the first five app, I've mentioned it before in my last episode, I mentioned it, but in the study of Jeremiah, Lisa Turkers writes a devotional called, or analysis, I guess I should say, of Jeremiah 48, and it's called When Comfort is My Enemy. And she talks about in this little analysis of Jeremiah 48, she talks about how in the Old Testament, winemakers would pour wine from vessel to vessel. So the wine would not, first of all, absorb the flavor of the vessel. And also, secondly, not, um, it would, pouring from one to the other would rid the wine of impurities that would settle on the bottom. And what she uses this example to explain that just as wine can't be left on what it's called on its dregs in order to have the purest taste, God doesn't leave us in this, you know, sedentary state either. He's constantly pouring us from one vessel to another, challenging, um, leading us to new places. And this helps to purify us and strengthen us so that we don't rely on ourselves and become so complacent that God can't use us. And I'm using some of, um, you know, Lisa Turker, some of her wording that she uses, but just this idea of being poured from one vessel to another, not comfortable, not easy, but it's for our ultimate good. So when God is turning up the heat in our lives, what should we do rather than remain stuck in a place of security and complacency? Well, really two things I want to bring out to, to keep us moving forward in our calling. Number one, we have to trust the plan. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit. Some translations say, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. If we look closely at a few of the words in the verse, trust means to have confidence in, to rely on. So trust in this verse is really talking about relying on God having confidence in God to the point that we have a sense of security in our decision-making. If we're making decisions out of a place of, you know, God has called me to a certain place and this decision I'm making is because this lines up with what he wants me to do. I know he's wanting me to, to walk in this way. We can have a security in that and a confidence because we have that firm foundation we're relying on is that God is trustworthy and therefore his plans for us are trustworthy. So we can have a confidence as we're moving out, no matter how scary it looks, no matter how uncomfortable it makes us, because we're doing so out of the confidence we have in who God is 
and the plans he has for us, knowing that they're going to be good for us and they're going to be good as far as for the people we encounter. Also, when it says in the verse that we are not to lean on our own understanding, in the Hebrew, the word lean means to support oneself. And I find that this is so... Um, this is so telling, right? Because in the verse, we have this contrast between we need to trust in the Lord rather than lean on our own understanding. Because when we lean on our own understanding, we're essentially trying to support ourselves with, um, with just our own understanding and knowledge. And we're, when we lean on our own understanding, we make decisions and we move in the direction we do out of a place of our own you know, wisdom, our own perceptions, and often those are faulty. They are not as reliable as God's perceptions and his wisdom because he can see things we can't and he has a plan. He's working through our lives that we don't know all the details of at, you know, at the point we're at. And so rather than rely on our own instincts and feelings, this verse is telling us we have to choose to rely on God and decide that God knows best even when his will leads to pain and hardship that's confusing and doesn't make sense. But that is really the sticking point for a lot of us is that we're all in with the plan until it gets really confusing and we have pain or we have circumstances we enter into that we didn't anticipate or look different than we thought. And we say, wait, wait, wait a minute, God, you know, I was okay with following you until it led to this place. And this is not making any sense at all. This is not what I thought was going to happen. But what we need to understand, I love what um, Charles Stanley says in The Blessings of Brokenness. He says, whatever pain God allows is controlled. So we can often think, you know, is God trying to destroy me here? Is he trying to completely ruin my life? Like, what is he doing? I don't understand. This doesn't feel good. This doesn't look good. Like what is going on here? I'm, I'm doing what he's asking and I'm still experiencing pain. I'm still experiencing difficulty, but what God allows is meant to transform us into what he intends for us to be. And he will circle areas of our life that are impending the flow of his spirit, impending what he wants to do in us as we progress and follow him and the calling he has given us. And he does that to bring us to maximum wholeness, as Stanley says, not to break us, to completely destroy us. Because sometimes it will feel like we are we are being broken beyond repair, and that is not what God does. And um, when we're walking in his will and following after him, the, the pain he allows is controlled. Um, it's meant to accomplish in us a purpose. However... If we just go off what our feelings are telling us, um, our perceptions, then we can easily just bail on what God wants to do in us because what he's doing may not look like it makes sense or may not feel good in the moment. But there is an idea that we can kind of draw from that shows us what we should do in those places, why we should stick with the plan, the plan, whatever God has given us, whatever step we have in front of us at the moment, or maybe there's a series of steps right now that God has given to you that you know, those are what we cling to that we, um, that we do 
despite what our feelings tell us. When um, I told you I was going to tell you some an illustration to kind of help us with this concept, when um, people are learning to fly a plane, flight instructors teach their students to fly using cockpit the cockpit instruments, not just um, you know not by just looking out the window or you know their perceptions. And the reason for this is that. There will be times when pilots are flying planes that they will experience what's called spatial disorientation. They will not be able to tell at certain times where they are in space in relation to the sky, the horizon, the ground. I mean, they will have to rely on what their instruments are telling them rather than their own perceptions. If they're in a bad storm, if, if you know, the plane hits some really bad turbulence and gets, you know, things start getting crazy. Um, and similarly in our own time of walking in our own calling, we may experience spatial disorientation. Like we may not know exactly. It may not be clear to us why God has us in a certain place or why he wants us to step out in a certain way. And those are the times we have to follow. We cling to, we cling to God. We cling to the cockpit manual the instruments, um, what our instruments are telling us, what God is speaking to us. And we do those things despite what it looks around us. Um, as Proverbs, um, you know, three, five and six, as it tells us, we rely on God's ways rather than our own. And as we acknowledge him, we submit to him. This keeps us in the right way, um, that we are to go no matter how it feels in the moment. The second point I want to bring about when we're moving forward and continually pursuing God's plan for our lives is I already kind of gave you a hint with a word I just used, but we have to continually, I just use that word submit to God's work in us. So not only do we have to trust the plan, which essentially is trusting the one who made the plan, trusting God, we have to continually submit to God's work in us. There was a phrase that I learned or heard quite a bit when I was becoming a teacher. As I've mentioned several times before, I used to be a high school English teacher, but there was a phrase in the education field as I was becoming a teacher. And also when I was in that field that, that I would hear used quite a bit. And it was just the term lifelong learner or lifetime learner. And you, you may have heard this being used by someone else. They say, you know, I'm a life long learner, a lifetime learner, something along those lines. But basically this means someone who is always pushing themselves to learn new things, to evaluate practices, to implement new ideas. And as a teacher, it's easy to just kind of get stagnant in certain practices. You know, you start out, you develop your quizzes, your lesson plans, your teaching strategies. It's easy to just kind of use those year in and year out. But when you're a teacher, it's necessary to constantly be evaluating, okay, did, how did this lesson go? What can I do to teach this information more effectively? To talk to other teachers and say, okay, how did you teach this? And, you know, swap ideas, look online for ideas, um, go to workshops, go to higher education classes to continually grow as a teacher and to continually realize that, you know, none of us have ever 
we're never in a place of totally arrived. Like even after you get your teaching certificate, your degree, that there's always so much you can learn in your field. And it's just that curiosity to constantly be pushing and going forward, even as you are someone who is instructing other people. And that can be true of other um, careers, other fields as well. But I mentioned this because this idea is true of answering God's call for our lives, our, our Christian walk with him, is that we are going to have to be continual learners. We're going to have to be lifetime learners, lifelong learners. And that is sometimes hard because we may start out with a lot of resolve, a lot of motivation to do what God asks. But then as the years go by, as we don't see as many results as we want, or there's more trials than we thought, we're having, you know, financial difficulties or health difficulties or family problems, then we may just get tired and less responsive to doing God's will. And I think our human nature is that we're willing to go through a few hard things if we know there's a reward, but then we just kind of want to coast. We don't want to have to continually push, continually learn. We don't want to be in the marathon. We want to be in the sprint and then be over. Or, you know, that's at least that's me. Um, But there is a continual submission to God's plan, a continual, you know, resolve to let him work on us because he'll work on one area, but then he'll work on another area. And so as we're answering our call, as we're as we're ministering to other people, he's also working on us and we're changing in the process just as people are changing in, in learning from us. But there is that danger of just clinging to what's familiar to us, um, clinging to what we've always known. My youngest daughter this past, actually it was about a week ago, had strep throat and she's almost three. And this is the second time she's had strep throat. My other kids have never had strep throat. But for whatever reason, my youngest is has, has had it twice already. But she had a very high fever. We took her into the urgent care. And they did a strep test and determined, you know, that she had strep. And we got her started on some antibiotics. And it honestly took a few days for them to even work. I mean, she still had a fever a couple of days after we started them, and so I was also giving her medicine for her fever. But the first few days that I gave her medicine, we had to give it to her for for 10 days. Um, my daughter fought. I mean, she's just a little thing. She only weighs 29 pounds, and she fought like you wouldn't believe. We had I had to have someone else hold her arms and her legs down while I was giving it to her. She did not want to take that medicine, but I knew as her mom that it's what she needed and that it was going to heal her throat. It's going to help her feel better so she could swallow again, so she could feel good, so that fever could go away. And she fought so hard. And it was about five days that she fought and fought every time I would give it to her. It was a horrible experience. I dreaded giving her the medicine every day because of how hard she fought. But it was the, you know, strange by about the sixth or seventh day, she stopped fighting and she just started taking the medicine. Like I would tell her, honey, we've got to get medicine right now. She would go lay down and she would open her mouth. And 
she, I don't know if she realized that it was helping to make her better. Cause I would say that this is helping to make you better. Um, or if she just was feeling better and drew a connection between it, or she just, it became a routine. But my oldest daughter said, mom it's becoming her routine now. Like she accepted that she was going to get the medicine. And it made me sort of think about the fact that as I was writing this, this article, And putting this podcast together, it kind of made me think about the fact that, you know, I don't think it's ever a routine thing that it will ever feel routine for us to have discomfort in our lives. But, you know, it it got me thinking that God administers that yucky tasting medicine to us too. And what if we have this mindset of knowing, okay, He's going to put let some trials come in my life. He's going to let some discomfort because he's strengthening me. He knows this is good for me. If we're praying and we're walking in his will and God doesn't remove some of the hardship, then we can say, okay, Lord, I'm taking this dose of medicine because I know in the end it's going to be good for us. And maybe instead of thrashing around and resisting, we say, okay, Lord, I'm just going to accept it. I'm going to trust you. You haven't taken this away. You haven't. Um, removed whatever obstacles in front of me. You haven't taken away the pain. I'm going to accept, Lord, that this is doing good things in my life. And I'm going to just take this medicine, however awful it tastes, knowing it's going to work in me what you're wanting it to, to do. So my kids, not just my youngest, but all of my kids were sick a week ago and Then this past weekend, we went to go see a family member who wasn't sick, but he just got done with some back surgery. And so we went to stop by and see how he was doing. And it had been a few days since he had had the surgery. And I fully expected that he might be walking around a little bit at home, but mostly staying in bed. But I was really surprised when we got to the house to go see him that he actually was outside with his back brace on he um and he was walking outside and I was really surprised to see that now he does have a walker but he had incisions not only in his back but he had an incision in his stomach as well and so I thought maybe they would just recommend that he lay down um for you know several days and not be walking around but he was actually explaining that he actually has been instructed by his doctor to to walk around a little bit each day and to get stronger. This walking around is going to help strengthen the systems of his body, his muscle tone, his blood flow, and it's also going to promote faster healing. Obviously, he's not he's not being reckless with this. He has to wear a brace and he has a little walker and it's controlled. But you know, I was even looking into after surgery, many surgeries that people go through, they actually, walking actually helps after surgery. Um, it's probably the last thing people feel like doing after they get through a major surgery, but it, again, it helps the, it helps, um, the body in a variety of ways, helps you not develop sores, um, helps blood flow, helps the systems of the body keep on working the way that they're supposed to work. And yet, it's not comfortable or easy to pull yourself out of bed after you've had incisions, after you've had work done and, you know, get on that walker and walk around. 
but it's just like us in our, in our walk with God, that he will push us to places. And we're thinking, God, why are you making me do this? This is so not comfortable for me. And he's doing it because he knows that it's good for us. And he knows where he wants to take us. And he's making us strong enough, um, to handle what he is going to take us to. I used a picture from a Lisa Turker's devotional or um, analysis, I guess, of Jeremiah 48 at the beginning of this podcast. And I want to return there for a minute. I explained a little bit about how Lisa Turker's talks about wine being poured from vessel to vessel to keep it pure. But what I didn't tell you, and I'm going to put up the link if you want to check it out on beulagirl.com. This, um, you know, the link to her analysis of Jeremiah 48, it's really, really, really good. And it kind of ties in with what we're talking about here. But what I didn't tell you is that the passage that Lisa was drawing from wasn't just about wine. The image of wine being poured from vessel to vessel to keep it pure, um, Turkers was actually um using that verse that it speaks about wine, but it was speaking of the nation of Moab as a nation left on its dregs for too long. They were comfortable. They were complacent. They faced no attacks from other nations. And the neighboring Israelites, on the other hand, they were not experiencing the same comfort. They were fighting off attacks from neighboring nations. They were enduring suffering, even captivity and enslavement. And yet, one of the things Turkers points out in contrasting Moab and Israel, Moab looked to be the the one that wasn't experiencing hardship. They weren't experiencing suffering. You could say, okay, why were they not experiencing the things that God shows when people were? Well, here's the thing. God was allowing what he was allowing with Israel because he knew what was best for them in the long term. And I love what Turker says at this point. She says, the Israelites appeared to be the ones not being saved from hardship by God. But if we look through the lens of what's best in the long term, Israel was being strengthened by God for her eventual good. And Moab, on the other hand, as she points out, Moab actually suffered complete ruin. And Israel, yes, they endured captivity and enslavement, but they their hearts were turned back to God after um, after worshiping idols and disobeying and God brought them back to, um, you know, a place of restoration and renewed relationship with him. Moab was completely ruined. And it just got me thinking how often we're in those places of we're thinking, why am I going through this? No, you know, we look at someone else and say, well, they're not going through any hardship. They're in a place of complete peace of security. Like, They don't seem to be going through what I'm going through. And is it possible? We suffer hardships for a lot of different reasons because we live in a fallen world, sometimes because as consequences for choices we made, but sometimes God allows what we're going through the hardship as a strengthening measure because he knows what's down the road for us. And it's this idea of, he allows what he does because if we just are allowed to be in a place of comfort and security, then we may sink into that. Stop depending on God, stop relying on him. And that complacency may do very bad things for us. This same idea 
was illustrated. I've been reading through Nehemiah as I shared in my previous podcast. Um, I've been reading through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah, there was a similar idea that was raised this week that just popped out. It just gripped my heart when I read it. And Nehemiah, in the process of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem with his fellow Jews, so Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem to help rebuild the wall that's been burned after their captivity, after they've been taken to Babylon. And then the Jews come back to Jerusalem and find Jerusalem, you know, needs to, needs a lot of work. And Nehemiah heads this um, operation of rebuilding uh, the walls, finishing the work there of, of doing that. Um, but here's the thing. When he went to go do that work, there was a lot of opposition. People didn't like what he was doing and they opposed him. And there was even people who wanted him out of the picture. And in Nehemiah six, he is advised by someone else to run to the temple and hide from men attempting to kill him. Okay. This sounds like some really good advice. Who, why wouldn't he want to save himself Um, when there are people who are out to get him. And certainly there are parts, other stories in scripture we can read. For instance, David's story where he ran and he was in God's will. I mean, he had to hide from the murderous King Saul and that was right for him. But in Nehemiah, there's a little bit different scenario going on. If Nehemiah were to hide in the temple, it would be wrong because he it was suggested that he hide in place in a place that was the only the priests were permitted in certain parts of the temple. So we could easily read past that. The person who was actually recommending that he hide was attempting to get Nehemiah to sin so that they could have an, something they could use to accuse him. Nehemiah sees right through it and he, you know, tells them that. He's not going to hide in the temple. He's going to to remain where he is and finish the work. And, you know, we could read that and say, well, that doesn't have anything to do with me. We're obviously in different time period where we don't have regulations where we can't go into, you know, certain parts of of God's house. I mean, obviously, we're not going to walk in the pastor's office or anything. But there were certain regulations given by God in the Old Testament. Priests could only be the ones to walk in certain parts of like the Holy of Holies, near the Holy of Holies. And other people who were not priests could not go there. But I was reading it, it just dawned on me that we, like Nehemiah, will have the temptation when opposition comes to choose a place of refuge. Maybe we're already in that place and God's calling us on and saying, okay, this place isn't necessarily like, um, he, he's calling us away from that place. Maybe it's a place of fear or whatever it is. Um, or maybe we're wanting to run to a place of refuge. Maybe we're already there or we're wanting to run to it, but staying in this place or running to that place of refuge would not be right for us. Because even though it looks like it will provide us security, it would be wrong for us. Maybe it's holding on to fear instead of stepping out into where God's calling us. Maybe it's um, a certain relationship that would not be right. You know, um, maybe just getting connected to someone 
a person of the opposite sex outside of our marriage because we're we're feeling lonely and feeling alone in our calling and we're we're seeking out um, attention or just a sense of someone validating us or maybe in our brokenness we're wanting to turn to something to just get our mind off of it so we're turning to social media or t- or TV and we're looking for a refuge we have a choice of staying where we are where we're uncomfortable or running to that place of refuge, or maybe God's even saying, hey, you're sinking into that place of refuge right now. I'm calling you out of it so that you can continue on your call. But all of these refuges, like the one that Nehemiah was tempted to go to, promise safety and comfort, but they won't satisfy or save us in the long run. And I love Nehemiah's response to the suggestion that he run. He says, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. That's Nehemiah 6.11. He refuses to give up on the will of God to save his own life, to preserve himself. And just like the nation of Israel described in the Turkhurst analysis of Jeremiah, he chooses to go through the hardship inherent in God's will. And just a few short verses after Nehemiah's resolve to stay committed to the task God has given him, we learned that the wall was finished and the work done with the help of God. Wow. And that's Nehemiah 6.15. He chose to stay and the work was finished. Friend, I don't know where you are in your calling, but I do know that as we pursue the assignment God has given to us, there will be that temptation that repeatedly comes up to abandon what God has called us and go to that which is easier. Maybe it's to go back to the job we used to have that was just our place of security and God called us out of that. Maybe it's a relationship he's asked us to let go of um, because it's not doing good things for us. Whatever the case, we will have at times the opportunity to choose the easier, the more comfortable And we may just be tired and worn out and say, I I just, I don't see the end here. I don't see how this is going to all work out in the end. And I'm just exhausted. And the challenge to us is to stay committed, stick to the plan. Let God keep on working on us, even though it doesn't feel great. Knowing that when we embrace the continual work God wants to do in us and allow whatever suffering he lets into our lives, know that it's only through walking through the discomfort and the pain that we are going to get the gain, right? No pain, no gain. So let's pray. Lord, sometimes walking in your will leads us to places that we never imagined. We're uncomfortable. We're asked to do things that, that challenge certain beliefs that we've held or certain habits that we have. We may be a person that's timid and you may be asking us to be bold in ways that we just don't know that we can be bold. Or maybe we're a careful person, a planner, and you're asking us to just step out in faith and not know the entire plan. And it makes us so nervous. Whatever it is you're asking us to do, Lord, if you're asking us to do it, that is the safest place for us to be. Lord, help us to leave behind our own ideas, our own feelings and perceptions, and simply rely on what you're telling us to put your word 
and what you're telling us above all other things, above our feelings, above our perceptions, and to simply launch out and trust what you're asking of us. Like a flight, a person who's flying a plane, Lord, help us to use the cockpit instruments that you've given us, your voice, your word, um, your will, those things that you, your spirit inside of us. Help us to use those things to fly our aircraft, to chart our course instead of just our ideas, um, suggestions from friends, or our own perceptions. Your way is always the best way, Lord. And like Proverbs tells us, it's when we acknowledge you that you make our path straight. You lead us in the place that we're supposed to go when we acknowledge and we follow you with our lives. So help us, Lord, to do so. Help us to leave behind those things that are hindering us in our in answering our call, Lord. And if, if we're stuck in places, we've gotten bogged down, Lord, help us just to repent and get back on track. Help us to turn. Help us to know those things that are holding us down and know that there's always grace to start fresh. Even if we've gotten a little off track, even if we've gotten sidetracked and distracted, that Lord, there's grace and that you will see us through to the end. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen.